We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. Say hi to everybody, Roth. Hey, hi everybody. Yeah, that's a that's a very that's a very very convincing hi everybody. Was that too I'm high energy? I can do it again, quieter. <laughs> How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. I'm well. I don't know. I'm exhausted, but I I've been worse. That's good. Well, yeah. I, I think again, we we've had this conversation 900 times where it's like eh, it could be worse. I could be. I could be yeah. flayed on a on a wheel of some sort, in right? A torture and, dungeon, and honestly, yeah, like none of the Hellraiser shit is happening. Uh, and that's, I guess, if that's where the bar is, is like one or fewer centibytes in the monitors, and I'm set. Yeah, we're only less than two weeks away from that part, but for now, we're good. <laughs> uh, our guest this week is Vice Senior Staff Writer and the author of the amazing book Republic of Lies on sale right now. It's Anna Merlin. Say hi, Anna. Hi. Oh, ho, ho. another convincing hi. How are you doing, Anna? <laughs> I'm okay. I'm sitting in a minivan in upstate New York. Oh, what, what better place to be in the country and what better vehicle to be stuck inside of while you're there? Are you, you are, now, you're on a road trip. You are on a road trip in the van, right? Yes. Is it? It's a 2000 Chrysler Town & Country. Ooh, oh, that's a classic. That's, I know exactly. That's like when I think of a minivan, that's the one I think of. So it's not it's not a VW bus. It doesn't have a doesn't have a pop up camper or anything like that. No, it's not a Sprinter. It's not a VW bus. It's not anything exciting. It's a minivan. Have you slept in the van? Of course, we sleep in the van all the time. We we have a we have a um, my boyfriend built out this van preceding me. So there's a wooden platform that has a full size mattress on it, and then underneath the platform is all of our van stuff. We have like a little portable kitchen and like. Uh, in a couple of drawers and like we have a bunch of stuff in here. So yeah, we sleep in the van, but not right now. Do you have a college dorm room loft in the van? That's so cool. <laughs> I remember. That is literally what we have in the van. Yeah. I remember. That's, that's true. But right now we are staying with our friends on their land. So I'm I, not currently sleeping in the van. I did not have the loft bed in college, but I was very jealous of the kids who were like, I have a loft. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh, there's a desk under the loft. And like, they have like a mini fridge with like, Drinks and snacks. Oh, I was like, oh, that that guy's living the high life. Yeah, I just had like what was assigned to me with the dorm. It's not like I wanted to sleep like further off the ground. Given my habits in college, like I certainly would have harmed myself if I had. But at the same time, like, yeah, it was definitely like it was a status symbol. Uh, so, yeah, where are you staying? We're staying on our friend's land kind of near Kingston. I'm looking at... Um, Two different school buses right now, a bunch of houses painted in like rainbow colors. It's very interesting. It's like pretty great. Are you near Woodstock? Is there free love going on where you are? We are near Woodstock. Oh. There's no free love. I have not seen any free love happening. We're, we are actually going to Kingston. This is extremely uh, brave and stupid of us. My wife and I have a trip up there scheduled for the weekend after the election. So I guess we'll see how that works out. But we've we've liked <laughs> Kingston in the past. It's like... Uh, you know, just like that kind of charming upstate type of shitty where like it's actually also nice, you know, and surrounded by beautiful things. But uh, I don't think it's shitty at all. I think it's really nice. I just mean like it's probably like as a city to live in, it might be like the city itself has issues. Mm, That's probably true. I don't know. I have a lot of friends here and a lot of them are working on like, you know, anti-police brutality stuff and, you know, like working on it. Working, working on making yeah. it better. Yeah. Way to go, Roth. You just, you just insulted Kingston to a Kingston lover. But and now I, the you've been, you're an anti-Kingstonite, and it shows, and it's disgusting. It is. I'll leave. But you guys can uh, go on talking about Kingston. If you want to talk about New Paltz, I'll be quiet. Anna, how long have you been on the road, and where have you been on the road? Um, we've been on the road for I think a little over a month, and we'll be on the road for another month. I think. Holy shit! Yeah. Wow. So we've been. So we started in L.A. where we live, just okay. for clarity, and then we went up, um, up through California and to Portland. We're briefly in Washington, dipped down into. Um, Glacier National Park. We've been to Yellowstone. We've been to the Badlands. We stayed in Minneapolis for a little bit. Um, and of course, because it's COVID, all of this is like COVID safe versions of this. So staying either in the van or in our friends' driveways. Um, and, you know, like not doing anything in proximity to other people. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, I have to imagine that just being in motion probably helps a bit. Sort of. I mean, you know, like, basically, we we have kind of done this before. And so we do, you know, we stay at campgrounds or on BLM land, mostly BLM land, because it's free. We can cook for ourselves. So like, most of the time, the biggest sort of risk is when we have to go to like a grocery store, or, you know, a truck stop bathroom. Um, and of course, we're getting tested somewhat regularly, though getting tested for COVID in a place where you do not live is actually really difficult. Um, so that's bullshit. But um, yeah, you know, so far it is going okay. And it's really pretty. And it's nice to be out here. And hopefully we don't get COVID. Do you have to also not just COVID, but do you have to make sure like no one breaks into the van? Like, do you have to be armed? I, I'm, I'm not even asking facetiously. Like, do you have to be armed? I don't no, I mean, maybe if I was like traveling by myself, that would be more of a concern. But you know, like this is a twenty-year-old man van with like a, you know, with like the paint flaking off and like a national park sticker on it. Like, I think it's pretty obvious that we don't have anything of value in here. I think that if you are like wanting to break in somewhere, it would not be our van. I think I don't think you would start with our van. Wouldn't that make it the ideal van to break into because it's so unassuming? But then all you get is like a cassette deck. Like, it doesn't seem... uh, We do have a cassette deck. Nice. Hell yeah. (laughs) Did you play... Have you played tapes on the road? Um, not recently, because we've been listening to a lot of audiobooks. Uh, I can see that we have some, like, weird underground tape in the tape deck right now for something that I've never heard of, and the tape is bright orange, so I look forward to hearing that. I loved it back in the day when the tapes were, like, if I got, like, a transparent cassette... Or like, or like, Allison Chains released one, and it was transparent, but it was also purple tint. And I was like, "Wow, that is badass! That yeah, is such a cool tape." There's only so much that you can do with a cassette tape, but I respect any attempts to do it. <laughs> what was the most boring uh, part you had to drive through? Because you, I think you made a wise decision to traverse the north part of the United States. You did to you avoided essentially driving through like Nebraska and Kansas and Iowa and shit like that. Were there any stretches where you're like, oh my God, I'm going to kill myself? Well, so I should clarify, I'm not doing any of the driving because I'm a very bad driver. Um, mm-hmm. So my poor partner has driven like 7,000 miles. Oh um, so none of this has been boring for me. I assume some of it's been quite boring for him. <laughs> <gasps> um, you know, I would say like neither of us super duper enjoyed like Spokane. I would like no offense to Spokane, but that was not like the most beautiful part of our drive. You know? Yeah, because you had to drive, like, I assume, like, the second you go about 30 miles east of Seattle, you're basically in, like, Ruby Ridge territory, right? It's like... I mean, it's very green, you know, obviously, like, the whole western United States is really, really beautiful. It's just, like, you know, some parts are more highway than others, I would say. So, yeah, Spokane to... Missoula, say, was not, like, a super exciting part of the drive. Yeah, you get a flat stretch of highway that just endlessly goes to the horizon. That's that's tough. I need, like, a bend, and I need, like... We did... Yeah. No, we did actually, like, decide to take, like, a scenic road that we sort of read incorrectly and drove down it for, like, two hours in Idaho and then realized that it didn't actually go anywhere and it just dead-ended. <laughs> so that was Oof. cool. That was really fun. Um, that was... That was not the best choice that we made. And then, like, you know, driving through South Dakota was, like, uh, variably interesting. Yeah, basically, like, our nation's highways are crap. The the highways all look like... Every highway looks like every other highway. Yeah, yeah, they look like shit. They're not... I like it when you cross a state line. You can tell right away whether or not the state has a decent infrastructure budget. Because, like, if you go into New York State... The instant you go into New York State, like, the highways turn to gravel. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. And you're like... Oh, okay. All right. This state doesn't have its shit together. It's just... We did have a really incredible experience crossing the California-Oregon border. So first of all, every time you cross a border, the Google Maps lady congratulates you and says, like, welcome to whatever state you're in, which is nice. Yes. It's very nice to do that. It's very nice. Um, But when we crossed into the California-Oregon border, it was really late at night and we needed coffee and we stopped at the most magical truck stop I've ever seen in my entire life. It was the Seven Feathers rest area and truck stop. It's run by the Cow Creek Band of the Umpqua tribe. And it was so beautiful. It was the most beautiful truck stop rest area I've ever seen. It had salmon jerky. It had, like, all these other, like, beautiful things to purchase. It was, like, incredibly clean. It was, like, the cleanest bathroom I've ever seen. It just, like, 
Shout out to the Cow Creek band of the Umquab tribe because it was absolutely incredible. I was going to say, like, what the, like, the most impressive truck stop you've ever seen seemed, like, from my experience, would be a very low bar. Like, it just means it sells that pickle that's in a bag. Oh, I do like the bagged pickle. Um, No, I've been to some good truck stops. I'm from New Mexico, and there's a really famous truck stop in Klein's Corners that's really beautiful. But I got to say, the Seven Feathers truck stop just blew it out of the water. What's so the, nice. Was the coffee any good? No, the coffee was trash. And it was actually really funny because we were like, wow, this place is beautiful. We should move in. They had like wine. They had like pretty good quality wine, all this stuff. And then we get coffees and we sip them. And we're like, oh yeah, that's, that's where we are. You know, it's nine o'clock at night. The coffee has been on since probably five o'clock in the morning. Tastes like it. Just, yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was the moment of, of bringing us back to reality. Is that the, uh, is that the kind of rest stop where you can take a shower? Like if you go to a pilot, you can, yeah. they have like showers and I'm like, they didn't have showers at this one. Um, they do have showers and, uh, my boyfriend's done that in the past. I haven't, um, we're not doing any showers at truck stops during COVID. I would say, I think, I think that's the wise choice. Yeah. When you, when you lay it out as plainly as that, it's kind of hard to argue with. In fact, yeah. in fact, and not to get personal, but where would you guys like, clean yourselves like do you guys have to jump into a creek or something like that right so i've taken i i would say like three or four showers in the last month um you know which is not an ideal number of showers for me personally right uh let me see we took we we got a hotel room one night just to shower and charge things we've stayed in hotels like twice once because we really needed to shower and once because um it was like a theme motel in the middle of Wisconsin in the Wisconsin Dells. And we had an opportunity to stay in a room that looked like a, a spaceship. <laughs> and obviously I couldn't not do that. Yeah. Um, Who says? So, yeah. And then, you know, like our friends. So when we stay in our friends' driveways, we're able to shower in their house. But like, you know, you don't want to put your friends at risk. So it's this funny thing where you're wearing a mask in the bathroom even until you shower. Like, I feel okay taking off my mask in the shower. But other than that. What, um... When you stayed at the hotel, were you like, oh my God, I feel like I'm at the Four Seasons because I'm in like a bed? It was actually a huge bummer because it was in, I would say, I think it was in Wyoming and nobody was wearing a mask and nobody was <sighs> distancing and there were a bunch of people in the pool and that's, I guess that's fine. That's everybody's personal choice, but uh, you know, it's not a good idea. I I don't support it, but you know, I got up in the morning and went to check out and I realized that everybody working behind the desk was like an older lady. And there were like four older ladies, like clustered together, not wearing masks, like talking to each other. And of course you just immediately start thinking about like the worst case scenario for these older ladies. Yeah. And that sucks. That's just, it feels bad. You know, like one of the main things about traveling right now is just realizing obviously a new, how politicized mask wearing is and how annoyed some people get when you're wearing a mask in their presence and like, it's just, it's rough. It's rough to see. Did anyone say something to you when you were wearing Nobody a mask? Has, yeah. So we were, um, like, it's more like saying stuff about us in our hearing to see if we will engage, which we don't cause there's really no reason to do that. But, um, we went to like a, we've been to a couple ghost towns and one of them was really, really crowded. There were a bunch of people at this ghost town. So we put our masks on because of course we did. And there was a lot of, like, commentary sort of near us about, you know, like, the air is pretty fresh out here. I don't know what they think they're doing. And it was just like, okay, like, all right, that's fine. You know, I've I've been through a bunch of states in the last few days. I would assume you want me to have a mask on around you, but, like, okay. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of not wanting to see it from my experience. I mean, again, it's limited, but same sort of deal in, in Maine. It would be people complaining about it while wearing a mask to me, who was also wearing a mask. And it was like, there was a sort of a like a an attempt at like a parlay there where they were kind of like, don't you hate it? Don't you wish you could take it off? And if I had been like, yes, I do wish that, then they would have done it. But instead, I, you know, you have to be like, but you got to do it. And they're like, all oh, right, that's what they say. And like, just sort of leave it at that. Yeah, 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 that's real. I mean, we've had a lot of people who are just like not wearing masks at all, talking to us in enclosed spaces, like, you know. Uh, yeah, it's it's a little stressful. <laughs> Can I ask yeah, you can't experiences like staying on a Bureau of Land Management uh, land? I've not done that. And honestly, like I, I keep forgetting how much of the country belongs to the Bureau of Land Management. 
hell yeah, it does. And BLM land is beautiful and perfect, and we should all fight really hard to preserve it. Like, BLM land and our nation's national parks, like, when you are in them at a time like this, you're like, oh, shit, we we really, really need these, and they are so endangered, and if we're not careful, there's going to be, like, an Exxon station across every inch of this. Um, yeah, no, staying on BLM land is really great, and I would highly recommend it. But don't fuck it up. The one thing... The one thing that happens, not to be gross, that everybody does is people stay on BLM land and they, they poop without digging a hole. Like, there's no bathrooms on BLM land, and so you're constantly coming across human poop, and that's a real bummer. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the, uh, the seeing. Is it, when you go on the land, is it like any national park where you cannot, there's no garbage can, you have to take all your garbage and waste with you? It varies, but mostly yes. And so you'll see a lot of people who are like, well, I don't want to do that personally. I don't feel that I should have to do that. So you'll see like this beautiful, pristine meadow or forest or whatever that's then strewn with like toilet paper and like beer cans and, you know, paper masks now. And it's just a real bummer. Yeah, thought everybody of, thinks they're special, man. I thought they of do. you. Everyone thinks they're special. I thought of you and your work briefly during the period of the wildfires uh, in the Northwest. Yeah. Where there was. You know, the like a lot of the like Bureau of Land Management land did burn up there. And there were reports that referred to it as BLM land. And then there was this kind of predictable and hysterical misreading of that online that was like a confluence of like angry conspiracy people where they were like BLM land. Like they got their own fucking land now. (laughs) (laughs) And were like incensed about it. And then it became this sort of story about like Antifa trying to burn down you know, national forests and stuff that coming together of like different strains of bad faith misinformation, uh, kind of had that the same sort of feeling of the like conspiracy singularity story that you wrote, where it's just like every bad belief is now like held in common with all these others. Yeah, that's what we're seeing. And the huge bummer about that one was that like local law enforcement and I think like rural Washington was amplifying the Antifa rumors and being like, yeah, we're definitely hearing that Antifa was set these wildfires. And it's like, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, Like, and I'm sure I'm sure that folks like genuinely believe that, but that doesn't make it any less sort of like dangerous and bizarre of a belief. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's and in a way, it's just an extension of like every wildfire season has conspiracy theories around it. Like last wildfire season, the idea was that um, they weren't actually wildfires. They were directed energy weapons, you know, that were, you know, torching this land on purpose for some like, you know, arcane conspiratorial project of, you know, globalist control. It was never entirely clear what burning thousands of. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I believe that. That's, uh, <laughs> the control part of it is always where the story kind of runs out. Like, you know, you they like sort of like collecting villains is the fun part and like speculating about motives. But then at some point you have to explain what the fucking geoengineering is for. Like why chemtrails is a lot less interesting than like who chemtrails. Yeah, I mean, like the issue with the with the wildfire conspiracy theories is always like, okay, but what good does it do anybody to burn down the forest? Like, what what project is that serving? That was never totally clear. Well, because people actively, and you would know, because you're you're, you're I consider you an expert on this. People don't really care about the why, right? Because it's more interesting. They're they're more addicted to the story and to having uh, a nefarious. Uh, you know, uh, some sort of shadow force to pin it on, right? The the machinations of it are they'll invent anything just so long as they can have they can have the blame and the story. Yeah, I mean, a lot of conspiracy theories fundamentally are about creating blame and creating villains and creating sort of a a storyline where the world is less kind of random and the forces of nature are less brutal and there's actually like someone you know, someone pulling, pulling at the strings behind the scenes. And if you figure out who that person is and you, you know, you kill them or you put them in prison, then, um, then everything will be better. That seems to be like a, obviously a pretty strong current, especially right now with stuff like QAnon. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you about that because the election's coming and I, uh, I'm definitely not going to jinx anything by making any predictions. But one thing I do know is that Marjorie Taylor Greene a QAnon nut from Georgia will get elected to Congress. Uh, and I think she is hardly the only one, if I'm correct. She's not. She's not. And so no matter what happens at the top, uh, whether or not the Senate, the Democrats flip the Senate or if Biden wins and all that stuff, how worried should I be and should Americans be about these fuckheads infiltrating the federal government 
even if it's on a relatively small scale. Right. So, yeah, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be a member of Congress. Her Democratic opponent dropped out. Like, this is this is happening. And she's not just, like, a QAnon conspiracy theorist. She's, like, a 9-11 conspiracy theorist. Um, she, like, did a stunt in, like, 2018 or 2019 where she came to D.C. and tried to get Ilan Omar and AOC to, like, retake their oaths because she claimed that both of them had done their oaths of office on the Quran and that they were invalid. I think, wait, I think she said that about EOC too. She definitely said it about Ilan Omar. Um, so she's like, you know, she's an Islamophobe very openly. She's a 9-11 conspiracy theorist. She's a QAnon conspiracy theorist. And she's, yeah, she's not the only one. Um, we know that there have been at least 80, uh, congressional candidates, (laughs) current and former congressional candidates who have promoted QAnon over the course of their time running for office. So that's not great. It's not great, but um, should I really, should I, should I, you know, should I jump off a cliff knowing that this is actually going to happen? Or is this something where it's like, okay, these people are loons, but they can be managed within their positions and we can, you know, you know, we can make sure their power is relatively limited within the power that they already have. I don't particularly think that they can be managed necessarily. Um, I, I, I would be, I wouldn't jump off a cliff cause that doesn't solve anything. Um, but I do think it's pretty worrisome. The, so the best sort of precursor example we have for this is 2010 with the rise of the tea party, you know, and all of a sudden a bunch of tea party candidates started taking office and they were people who were, you know, confusingly very paranoid about the federal government believed in things like, you know, Jade Helm and agenda 21, um, and suddenly, like, they were elected officials in the government that they sort of denounced. And so the Republican Party at that point had a choice, which was to be like, this is ridiculous. Uh, we're not sort of going along with this or to kind of start feeding into their frenzy. And the Republicans chose the latter and sort of Tea Party rhetoric kind of took over the Republican Party, at least for a period of time. And I, I, I worry about a couple things. I worry about that happening again with QAnon, I worry about the sort of mainstream Republican Party kind of incorporating their talking points and, you know, deciding that uh, it is really important to, you know, ferret out the Soros-funded evildoers within government. And, you know, um, yeah, I, I worry about the idea that we're going to kind of adopt QAnon rhetoric without calling it QAnon. Uh, well, so I think the other concern here that is maybe a larger concern is that, like, the more that QAnon spreads, the more it kind of incites um, individual violence. You know, there's a researcher named Chip Burlett who talks about this. It is called coded rhetoric that incites scripted violence. And so something that happens when you talk about, you know, the Democrat cabal who are all pedophiles and sex abusers or when you demonize individual people like AOC or Ilan Omar you know, what it says is that someone should harm them, right? Like what it's telling your audience is that someone should harm them. So whether it's somebody like Marjorie Taylor Greene or whether it's, you know, a big QAnon promoter, whether it's somebody like Alex Jones, whether it's Rush Limbaugh, you know, when people adopt this rhetoric that certain people are evil and need to be brought to justice, it encourages someone to hurt them, you know? And so I worry a lot about like individual acts of domestic terror, and certainly, like, situating it in institutions seems like it's the Tea Party stuff. I mean, obviously, that comparison makes a lot of sense. There's just something so much more unstable about the Q ideology to me. And the idea of, like, if you met, like, a cop that believed a bunch of shitty Republican Tea Party type stuff, you would probably not be surprised. Like, but if you met a police officer or if you saw one of the many police officers that have been photographed with, like, you know, those like where we go one, we go all patches like that person is like sending a signal that they are really like, first of all, probably don't have your best interests at heart, but also believe like a whole suite of crazy shit. Right. And can be sort of easily persuaded to scapegoat people for like ridiculous things. Yeah, it's not it's not good. And the sort of relationship between our law enforcement and members of the military and both conspiracy theories like QAnon and things like, you know, far right or like openly white supremacist groups is something that we're going to be dealing with a lot over the next couple of years. Well, if you go from if you go from the progression of Tea Party to QAnon, then it would suggest that 10, 20 years from now, mm-hmm. the next conservative uh, fringe movement that becomes mainstream is just like 
I, I can't even think of anything more lizard it's, person. It's, da- it's David Icky, man. Like it literally yeah. is the lizards. It has so to be. I, I literally don't. Yeah, I don't. It's like some sort of bizarre like Scientology, but also Nazism, like com- combination or something. And is there anything to stop this trajectory? Or do you have more hope than that? I would say that it would be really nice if mainstream Republicans were like, this is ridiculous and this is not something that we're going to adopt or go on board with. And when a QAnon candidate runs, we're going to like oppose them. Right. You know, um, I would say that, that like, happen. you know, right. But they haven't. That's not a thing that's happening. Um, I think on an individual level, it's really uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how much people who like know that their like friends and loved ones have fallen into QAnon stuff can talk them out of it because like the yeah, best something... sort of research. Yeah. That it, it's, I just don't have that personal experience, but it, other people around me, a woman I volunteered with similar sorts of stuff. Like when somebody is like that, there's this urge to, to try to reach out to them, but it's so aggressive. And so like, super polarized and like hyper intense that there's like a stronger urge at least for me to just turn away like just not take the call yeah i mean it really so if we're talking about like trying to debunk it among people you know like first of all you know we know that people who believe in conspiracy theories are often people who are like feel disenfranchised they feel locked out of systems of power they feel um like they're not exercising a ton of control over their environment and their day-to-day lives. They might be super isolated. You know, a lot of people who have fallen into Q stuff are like our elders and they're homebound and they're people who, you know, um, are like looking for a community to, to tap into, right? And QAnon gave them a community. It gave them meaning and it made them feel like they were part of this big thing, you know, like this global hunt for uh, the democratic Satanist pedophile cabal, right? Uh, which is not great. That's not, like, I would personally prefer if, like, you know, you joined, like, a, a bingo game or, like, you know, like, a, you know, like, volunteered somewhere. Aqua aerobics. Um, yeah, that would be good. Zumba. Um, I know a lot of older people who like Zumba. Um, but so, yeah, the one thing that I always say is that, like, when we're talking about trying to debunk this on an individual level, I tend to start with asking what purpose it's serving for people. Is it just that they feel more powerful or empowered knowing, like, hidden knowledge? Is it that they, you know, have a sense of anger in their own lives about some institution that they feel like failed them? And so they want to, you know, they want to hit back at it. And, you know, also, like, when you're thinking about trying to debunk something, you got to ask yourself what your relationship is with the person. You know, like if you're somebody, if you're just some rando on the internet, you're probably actually not going to do a very good job arguing with somebody. But if this is like your, you know, your great aunt or your dad or whatever, uh, you might have a little bit more of an inroads to create like a dialogue about like, yeah, I know that you think that you are doing your own research and your research has brought you to this. And I really, you know, appreciate that you are so interested in figuring out who's really in charge or how the world really works. Let me give you some more articles. Let me give you some studies. Let me just deluge you with like further reading and hope that that helps. Yeah, that was but really maybe it doesn't. That was what it felt like in, in talking to the the one person that I've really had any extensive conversation about with this was just like, there's this whole other closed system of media that they participate in. This woman watches those, this guy, Del Bigtree, who I know you've written about. Yeah. Whose qualification as an expert is that he was a producer on Dr. Phil's show. Uh, which is, you know, the he's been near a doctor. He was a producer on a CBS show called The Doctors. Oh, all right. Which, so. Yeah. Right. So Del Bigtree is a big. He's a big player in the anti-vax world. And this, it seems like that led, you know, that was where she started, but that led into like a really sort of lurid type of COVID denial. And I don't know where that necessarily has landed now, because again, I just didn't, I don't take the calls, but that, that drift and the way that it sort of has been durable in like, you know, the idea of like debunking a conspiracy theory seems difficult, but then also sort of futile, I guess, where like Q's concerned, because the drops and all that shit, they've never been right. You know, there's like all these predictions, but it's not, that somehow doesn't seem to be the point. Right. Yeah, they've never been correct. Or like, you know, so yeah, Dale Bigtree, for instance, is a big player in the anti-vax world, but he's also mainstream enough that he's still on all these platforms that other people have gotten kicked off of. And so Bigtree, you know, uh, sort of positions himself as being a journalist, which he's not, and positions himself as being objective, which he's not, both of which are like very sort of effective ways to um, 
mainstream some weird ideas. And so, yeah, his his show has taken on a really obvious sort of COVID denial element. Um, he's very interested in Sweden. He's obsessed with the idea that Sweden didn't do a lockdown and didn't, you know, didn't have any deaths, which is not true. Like, Sweden yeah. is doing really bad. Um, so there's a lot of that. But, yeah, I mean... Again, like when you're talking to somebody who's gotten really invested in this stuff and you say like, yeah, hey, these QAnon predictions have never been right. Like, where's the storm? Where's the mass arrests? Like, where is it? You know, they'll always have an answer, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think your personal approach is more intriguing to me because my always my first reflex is, well, you're just a fucking insane person. Whereas if you sit down and you try to actually say, all right, why do you believe this? And see where you're coming, you know, try to see where you're coming from and have some strange, at least a veneer of empathy. I think that that that's almost certainly more effective than what I do, which is just yell at people online. There's no <laughs> way that that actually works. Anna, you've been a fantastic guest, but I, I have to ask you, <laughs> since it is, uh, since it's almost Halloween, it's very spooky. As you're staying in a barn and someone's operating a chainsaw outside of the barn... <laughs> While we're recording this podcast, uh, are you doing anything for Halloween? You got to dress up. You got to trick or treat. I really wanted to. Um, so by Halloween, I guess I'm going to be back in New York City. You know, so uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, is Halloween happening in New York this year. I feel like it's not. I don't feel like there's going to be trick or treating or anything. I think it's going to be like a weird touchless trick or treating where like people just leave bowls of candy outside of their apartments and like politely request that no one touch their doorbell which is really fucking grim to consider uh-huh. actually yeah that's what we're doing we're, we're yeah, we, we, we have a blanket and we're laying candy out in separate like the the candy's not in a pile because then multiple hands would be in there so we have to you have to space the candy out and then my son's gonna draw this is my idea because i'm a g oh no no it was my son's idea he uh he's gonna draw in chalk spacing dots on the front walk so that if multiple kids come to the door at once, they know to stand six feet apart the way you would when you're waiting online at like the weed dispensary or whatever. I will say that one thing about Halloween that is alive and well in New York from my experience is little kids getting costumes and then just wearing them all through October, seemingly like without any bidding. Like this was, we were walking around last weekend and there was like a mom with three of her children and two of them were dressed normally. And one of them was just dressed as Chewbacca. It's like a, just a three foot tall Chewbacca walking into a park. And I was yeah. like, this is good. This is like nature is healing. I love that. Yeah. Oh, well, in my last few years, I've gone trick or treating with my, my friend's kids who love, love, love Halloween. But they're not in New York this year because they have temporarily relocated due to COVID. So, um, you know, I guess I can trick or treat in their place. But it's sort of less charming when I do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, as far... That's you saying it. We might have a different opinion. See, <laughs> Anna Merlin at my door and say, "Oh, it's Anna Merlin." I love her she's work. Dressed, she's dressed as bar. she's dressed as Marjorie Taylor Greene. Who can <laughs> who can argue with that? You've been a fantastic. Wow, that actually would be a good costume. It wouldn't. Would, yeah, you got to get a fleece and an AR fifteen. <laughs> Anna, you've been a fantastic guest, and we cannot thank you enough for coming on. Would you come on again sometime? Yeah, of course. I'll come from not the middle of nowhere where my internet doesn't work and there's a chainsaw going on. Yeah, but I but it seems like you're happier out there and I I feel like I feel like you're getting a better I feel like you're you're like Charles Corral, except you're not talking to anybody, which seems like the ideal <laughs> <laughs> seems like the ideal way to sort of traverse America and get to know an America. You get to know the land of America without any of the people. And that's just a better way of it's going. the dream. Uh, uh, maybe so. Please read uh, Anna's work advice and, of course, uh, Republic of Lies, which I have read and which is both terrifying and comforting in equal measure. I don't know how she did it, but she did it. Uh, it's Anna Merlin. Thank you again for coming on The Distraction. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. Bye, guys. Bye. We're back. We're back. That was fun, Tony. Anna. I feel like I learned so much more than actually. Like I, I always learn a lot from Anna, but I'm alarmed by what I learn. Yeah, so I always wonder about having to like being an expert in a field like that. Just walking around with all that knowledge in your head all day seems like it would be insanely taxing. Yeah, that's like uh, you know, like the political reporters, like Daniel Dale and stuff, who like have to like be essentially stenographers. It's like, well, Trump was at a rally and he said that squirrels have AIDS. And, yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like. 
And yet so many of the people I know that are on those beats, Anna being one, uh, Ben Collins, who does a lot of like Q-related stuff for NBC, are like shockingly well-adapted and normal people. Which is like, it's somehow harder for me to like faintly know half of the shit that they know. Like just knowing it makes it harder for me. But they're just like, yeah, I don't know. I go to the gym. Well, you know, it's, it's harder now, like in this century and in this year to sort of exist because you know more than you would have known a hundred years prior. Like, you know, a hundred years prior, you knew that like, I don't know, the, you know, the, the, the store, the general store in town wasn't selling rock candy anymore. And that was very sad. Yeah. You didn't know, you know, how many in deranged asshats were all around you, you know, spread all across the country, infiltrating every fucking crevice of every town. So you know more, but it's a burden. However, yeah. I will tell you that, like, and I, I talked to, like, a therapist about this. I was like, uh, you know, because it's election season and, like, and the fucking, the Barrett lady's going to get confirmed by the court. And I'm like, I just, I just have nothing but hate and I'm just miserable about it. And then I realized that, like, I'm, I'm essentially, you know, wringing my hands over the fact that evil exists in the world. And that's something that, like, is always going to exist. And I'm going to go to my grave with evil still existing in the world. And there's, there's really not much I can do about it apart from, like, I, the only thing I can control is whether or not I'm evil. I'm not. Yep. Unless you ask, like, I don't know, Cardinals fans. Yeah, I was going to say, like, there's some, uh, there's some votes for, but many more votes against. Right. And I can raise my kids to not be evil, and they're not evil, even though my daughter is 14 and now has a reality show accent. Oh, no. Yeah, so she ends, she ends every sentence low. Like this. And, <sighs> like... Like, like if you took a Valley Girl from like 1984 and then like, and, but gave her a reality TV show in 2020. So it would sound, it sounds, it sounds, it's not like, it's like, I'm like, it's not like, oh my God. It's like. That's oh too God. high energy for the time being. It's too yeah. high energy. Yeah. Yeah. You have to keep it low and then you have to draw out every syllable. It has to be like that, like languorous. Like think of yeah. like a, a Kardashian, like on a chaise lounge lying yeah. down, looking at their phone. That's the energy yeah. level you want. Yeah, if she's like, that girl's just very basic. <laughs> and my son, who's 11, does an impression of her now. And he did it at the dinner table, and I was fucking dying. <laughs> and she was so, so not happy about it. But well, anyway, the, the, point, the point is, you have to, and it sounds counterintuitive, but you have to accept that there will be evil, and the fight doesn't end. But uh, so long as you put up a fight, then things will be okay. It's tough. And, you grow up with this idea that, you know, there's like a linear sort of progress through, not just through your own life, but that like, that things are, are advancing, you know, that right. like, this is like what we're told. And that's not necessarily true, obviously. Like, it's really more just kind of like, a, like if you were listening to a record and the, the needle got stuck in a groove. And so you're just hearing like the same few seconds of Lindsey Buckingham being like, uh, over and over again for the rest of your life. It's maybe more like that. But, uh, you know, doesn't mean you can't find some joy in the sound of Lindsey Buckingham's voice. Would you like to talk some sports, Rob? Sure, that sounds fun. We can talk more about Fleetwood Mac later. We're going to talk, uh, we have to get your World Series picks because uh, the World Series has already begun. Dodgers won game one. By the time you listen to this podcast, game two will already have been played. This is not like the uh, the championship series where all seven games were seven nights in a row, which yeah. strangely took me out of it, like... Because it, it's all being played at like a glorified Home Depot in Texas, and like so that I haven't been thrown off by a lot of the uh, of the rebooted sports when it's off schedule and in weird places and in bubbles and all that shit. With the exception of college football, which I think I can't, I can't. Yeah, watch right you got it because that's the the denial of college football makes it hard to sort of watch. Whereas yeah. baseball is doing more of a kind of like unconvincing rationalization thing, which like is also kind of my thing. That's been my approach to uh, the pandemic as well. Seems So healthy. it fits. Uh, I enjoyed watching the game last night. The Dodgers and Rays are both cool, but I agree that the championship series being all stacked up like that was, uh, it was, it felt like they were rushing, which they were. I mean, they were rushing, but it they didn't, it, it, like, it just sort of reminded you of how artificial and like not, actually October it actually sort of was yeah the the game sevens did not feel like game sevens to me because of you know because there wasn't a break and they couldn't go to a home stadium and 
it was weird because I didn't really give a shit about crowds and I don't give a shit about them in the NFL while I'm watching it during the regular season. But to not have a playoff crowd in baseball particularly, because those crowds get fucking amped. Yeah. Uh, that's been a little bit weird for me. Instead, it's a bunch of like Dallas assholes. Like, yeah, see, that's here. like where they are with the, the Texas, because they're letting people in, but they're also not, they're having them sit in pods and they're not, you know, they're trying to distance them and stuff. So the the feeling of it is like a World Series game being played at like the Marlin Stadium in August, right. you know, against the Rockies or something. There's like 2,500 people there and they're all on their phones the whole time. Like it's a fucking drag for sure. Like that's uh, a, you know, good baseball. These are very good teams. It is, but I, I do think the Dodgers will sweep. Uh, I could be proven wrong by the time this uh, posts, but uh, I was watching last night. And I've seen I've seen enough Mookie bets to know that he's the best player on the field, man. So he's on, the be- best fucking player on the planet right now, yeah. you know, with respect to Mike Trout. Like, and the it's weird because, like, ordinarily I would say, you know, that there's only so much that one player can do to influence the outcome of a game, and blah blah blah, all the other boring shit that you might you can just imagine me saying it right now. It's great. The that's somehow not been true with bets that he's made in every game, like two or three individual plays where you can just be like, that took two runs off the board for the other team. This put a run on the board for his. Like, that's not how it's supposed to go. And yet it's been like that. I think the Rays are too good to get swept. But the Dodgers, it's... In some ways, I'm still trying to, to write something about the Rays. It will have published by the time people hear this. That, like, they are, in a lot of ways, like a perfect baseball organization for not just this moment in baseball history, but like this season, like it's all depth. It's all guys that can be switched and used in different ways. And so like, if you had to play, you know, 60 games in 70 days, and then you had to play a playoffs where there's no days off, that's a a sort of roster and a sort of like approach that could work in it. It's just that because they're the Rays, they don't have, those superstar caliber players that the Dodgers do. And this would, you know, and you can see that difference just in terms of like, we were just saying about bets that like, if he's worth a couple of runs a game and like one team has him and the other team doesn't, then like the advantage is really clear. Yeah. Uh, are the, should I consider the race evil in the way that the Astros were evil before they became even more evil and then more evil on yeah, top of right. that? So my answer is no. Um, okay. I think that, there, there's something a little distasteful about how cheap they are and how like much they like emphasize like fungibility is important for them and their players. Like that, like they don't keep people around long enough for them to get expensive or for people to get attached to them, and that's part of the model. But it sucks, you know. Like you don't have to like it just because it works for them. That said, yeah. I think that like the stuff that they do well is like baseball shit. It's scouting. You know, that they know other teams' organizations better than those teams do. And they've shown it. Like, their whole bullpen is guys that were freely available. Like, just guys that were picked off minor league rosters, people that were pitching in indie leagues, people that they got, you know, as, like, throw-ins in deals at the, you know, like, at deadlines. And they just get so much right that there's, like, it's hard not to admire it because it's not the sort of thing where there's, like, a spreadsheet and some, like, McKinsey quant dipshit who can be like, this is it. Like, those extra .64, like, decimals of, like, efficiency, that's me. I did that. Like, my algorithm did. In this case, it's, like, some dude that was working as a roofer that they, like, got to throw sidearm, and now he's fucking good. I want to like that, but you basically just described how the Patriots operate. To yeah, it is. Very... I was thinking about that when I said no days off earlier, and I just heard, like, a Belichick alarm going off yeah. in my head. Like, I'm going to get a fucking craft voice in the next two minutes. Gives me pause. Uh, time to drink from the poison chalice. I got two two choices for you. Well, they're not choices. I'm just going to make you do both. Oh, good. Uh, there's an old take a posted double. by Twitter user one Mississippi who said I still haven't gotten over this because he 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 found a listicle from Screen Rant that said uh, Into the Spider Verse twenty things Miles Morales can do that Peter Parker can't, and number one was hug his parents. Fuck! <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and the oh. captain said, it's not nice to point out, but yeah. Miles can go home to his mom. It's really mom. not nice. to. Why would you do that? <laughs> you have 19 other things. It's not, nice. <laughs> it's not nice to point out, but Peter Parker's parents are dead. So it doesn't really, have that going It forward. feels Trumpian, like the, the phrasing of it, where it's like, I, I like superheroes whose parents don't die. <laughs> like, it's <just> really gross. <laughs> it's really. The other one is just posted <laughs> by Barry and Slack. 
And uh, it's from Armand White, the legendary movie reviewer. Oh, King. Who, fi- who finally fulfilled his destiny and now reviews movies for National Review. Yeah. And, uh, and his review, and his, uh, his piece was Make Zack Snyder Nonpartisan Again. As a visionary, he rivets as a sloganeer beset with TDS, he alienates and disappoints. It's so true. I wish that, I wish that Batman versus Superman hadn't had such a liberal agenda. Yeah, to it. that's, I think the one thing that I, the only real complaint that I have about Zack Snyder's films. Yeah. Is that they need to be more overtly reactionary so that I can feel better about them? TDS yeah. is Trump derangement syndrome. Is that yeah, what of he's course, saying? of course, but fantastic. Just, I love to like the collapse of right wing discourse into just a series of acronyms that only make sense to people that spend all day on those websites is like right. seems promising to me. Yeah, I was like, I was watching Three Hundred. I was like, this is too woke. For yeah, me. you're like, oh, a little politically correct, isn't it? Yeah. The whole. The way that you obviously think Rorschach is the coolest character in this movie that you're making. Uh, your guy of the week uh, was going to be in honor of Anna, but she's not here anymore. Uh, it's uh, New Mexico's own Tayshawn Prince. Oh, uh, I love Tayshawn Prince. I remember was, him very well. He was a fantastic player. And so he had the uh, the Stacey Augman uh Plastic Man vibe to him. Yeah. He could just be everywhere on a court. Also right. kind of a dude ahead of his time in the sense that he like shot threes and had really long arms. I think that, you know, obviously he was like a really useful player for a teams that won two championships and stuff. But he, I remember in college, I had a lot of friends after I graduated from school. I had a lot of friends that had gone to the University of Kentucky and I would watch games with them on Saturday. And watching Prince like bomb away from the half court logo like at the time was like the coolest shit I'd ever seen, especially because he kind of looked like, yeah, that like the Jar Jar Binks body type where everything's really like floppy and long. <laughs> right. But he like I hadn't seen that before, and now that's like kind of a normal thing that you're supposed to do. That's like how you get like a you know like an invite to training camp is you hit a bunch of those shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like those um, those Kentucky teams were sort of. You know, the Patino Kentucky teams where they had long guys like him and Antoine Walker just bombing away. And there were like positions sort of stopped mattering. Every guy could play every position, yeah. not unlike the Rays. Which again, yeah, but also like very much ahead of its time in terms of that. The like once it got into the Kentucky started like actually recruiting Kentucky harder, like under Tubby and all that. And like the teams did get worse. And now they're like a national sort of, you know, endeavor again. But Prince was right. cool, man. He was really like, I, don't, I, I hope he's well. Uh, the other thing is that uh, I think I got it wrong. I don't think he has anything to do with New Mexico at all. Where's um, he from? Is, is he from? No, he's from California. Oh, I, all right. I was looking around for like New Mexico, famous New Mexico Lobos or New Mexico State. I almost had to do like Lou Henson because he coached New Mexico State. You want to do a New Mexico State one real quick? Kenny Pig Thomas. We love him. Ooh. His nickname was Pig. Another pig? Another pig. An- a another basketball guy pig. Another named Pig. Would you, say that that, would you say that that will do? Fantastic. <laughs> uh, hey, you want to get some mashup? Let's get it. I want to right. he- hear you sing, buddy. No hair metal in this one. Oh. There's no What's hair metal. That's even the point. All right, here we go. I'm going to... I'm going to rap. So this could be... No, bad. no. We, oh, wait, can I change my answer? Yes. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna rap as inoffensively as I possibly can, okay. and then you can tell me whether or not I fucked up. All right, so uh, uh, <laughs> street poetry is my everyday, but yo, I gotta stop when you drop my way down in Louisiana, dropping New Orleans, way back up in the woods along the Evergreens. I stood a log cabin made of earth and wood with a country boy named Johnny Be Good. All right, so we got Chuck Berry, yes, and the Chuck other Berry. one. I only got two lines of the of your rap. Can you read them to do me you, again? Do you want me to rap more? I don't want you to rap more. Do you more. really want me to do it? When have you? Every time we talk, you ask me if I want you to rap more, and I always say no. I'll give you the first couplet because it might help you out more. Uh, it's honey, check it out. No, wait. Yeah, yeah, wait. Uh, is that how he's? You got, me mesmerized. you got me mesmerized with your black. It's a tribe called Quest and your fat ass. Thought. Yeah, you, yeah, good. All right, cool. Yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> I see in the chat that Brandon also had it. Congrats. So it's unanimous. I apologize to Brandon already. Just a horrible... Don't apologize to to everyone, individually. That's the world's worst (laughs) Q-tip impression. I could have done that for the locks and and gotten the appropriate... Yeah, uh, that's fair. Chastisement. Fun bag. Moving on. You did great. Uh, 
Aaron writes in, I just farted and it smelled exactly like the food I just ate two hours previously. This deeply disturbed me and it has never happened before that I can recall. As a certified fart expert, please tell me this is not an unprecedented incident, Roth. I feel like I probably experienced it, but I feel like that would be like spooky. Like you'd be, you'd feel haunted by your burrito if you were smelling it again that directly. Like it doesn't seem to auger well. I've had it happen twice. I've had it happen with, I think feel like it happens with chicken soup sometimes <laughs> or that the fart smells like chicken soup or the dump smells like chicken soup. And I've had it happen with Chinese food. And to me, it's like, I think if you have anything that has a lot of preservatives in it, like those preservatives go untouched through your digestive tract. That's what I was going to ask. Is it a sodium thing? But that yeah. doesn't have a smell. Yeah. I don't think it's, I think it's when, I think it's when the, the fart smells different. Like it smells like, it smells like another food, but not one you ate. Like when it smells like red wine vinegar or something. <laughs> Consult your physician. Yes, that's right. Uh, Joe writes in. This is your last question. All right. Yesterday, I saw a neighbor in my apartment complex shooting a bow and arrow behind the building. This is a residential area in a mid-sized city. I've never spoken with this neighbor. What do I do with this information? Is this good? Is he developing a useful apocalypse skill he will share with me? Or is he going most dangerous game on our apartment complex? Please advise. What does Joe do with his bow and arrow neighbor? I need to know more about the guy's setup, first and foremost. Uh, just because there's a lot of things that can go wrong. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. There are a lot of things that can go wrong when you are shooting an arrow. And I think you can mitigate them to a certain extent with like bales of hay behind your target or whatever. Yeah, yeah, camp yeah. That's standard but, archery rage stuff. But if you're just like messing around in the backyard, uh, I would I would advise against. I would advise against making eye contact, and also I would advise against uh, doing that yourself. Yeah, if this guy like found like a dead cat, like you know, by a fence, and like was shooting a bow and arrow at that, and maybe like making like butthead chuckles, like <laughs> <laughs> I feel like then people, I would I would contact the super. You got to leave shooting things for the shooting things spaces, in my opinion. Yeah, I remember I, there was a story about Robert Swift, the the basketball player that the Sonics drafted. Certainly one of the the highest qualified juggalo looking dudes ever to play in the NBA, <laughs> who had like a really difficult, like he had an addiction experience, and like he and his buddies that lived in this like mansion in Seattle that was like just full of heroin users and stuff, had turned the basement into a shooting range, like but without any attempt to like do it right. And so they would just go down there and just shoot guns into the foundation of the house to the point where it was basically structurally unstable. Like, I think just trust the professionals on stuff like that. Yeah. I, I do like as someone who has fired guns and shot bows and arrows responsibly, I can recognize responsible gun and bow and arrow people yep. when I see them. And I know, I know very much quickly when I have not, when I have not encountered someone who was using those things, in I was going to say manner. the more salient skill there is really identifying the people that don't take it seriously enough, and then just yeah. keeping it moving. So, if you live in an apartment complex, be to be careful with your bows and arrows. I do. That's I do. true, and that's honestly like a, a PSA that I can also sign off on. Uh, we got to wrap up. Brandon Nix is a producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Get better, Daisy. And our theme song is by the immortal Kirk Hamilton. We love him. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to us, that's Roth and I, you're welcome. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. They're always in all caps, the promo codes. I don't know why. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever it is that you listen. Subscribe to Defector.com. And don't forget Anna Merlin's book, The Public of Lies. It's available in bookstores and on online retailers everywhere. Go read it. It's very, very good. It really Roth. is. Uh, next week, uh, we will have the election preview. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh. Are you sure? We can also just, why don't we break down the NBA draft? Yeah, we could do that, too. All right. Let, cool. me, do, let me do my, my crusty. I can do a pretty good crusty side. Yeah, that one's, you really got to activate your diaphragm, but you have to mean it, too. <laughs> All right, we'll see you next week, Roth. Yep, bye.